Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what would you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about. I made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Thanks for listening. And uh, with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. All right. So today is the second Super Tuesday, I guess they call it, in which the Republican primaries and the Democratic primaries are finishing up. And it turns out that Florida and Ohio and I think Missouri and Illinois and which other state? North Carolina. North Carolina, right. Those are all five of those states. Okay. So the uh, results are in and... One thing that was totally not surprising was that Marco Rubio would not win Florida. All the polls indicated that he was very substantially down behind Trump, and there was virtually no way that he could uh, defeat Trump on this one. All right, so <clears throat> so he loses to Trump, and then he makes his concession speech, and he's going to bow out of the race, to which we say, thanks. Couldn't have you done that yesterday? Couldn't you have done that a week ago, please. About a month and a half ago. Yeah. Well, the, the problem is that he he made Florida his last stand, and because home, uh, Florida is his home state and such, and 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 what bothers me so much about this is that Florida, being a winner-take-all state, which means that all 99 delegates now go to Trump. Had he bowed out of the race, I don't know what the odds were in terms of the percentages, but the fact is that. You, you know, with Rubio out of the picture, uh, Cruz would have been able to gather much more steam and would have had a fighting chance against Trump. I think it would have been almost neck and neck. And had he won by only a couple of votes, uh, Cruz would have taken all the 99 delegates. Even if Cruz lost, it would have been, I think, as you said offline, Ari, that it would be a Pyrrhic victory for Trump. But no matter at this point, because history is history and Trump now takes all those 99 delegates. Thank you very much, Marco Rubio. Um, and uh, he's going to have a stronger position in all the other states as well. So it's not just Florida. And, and what a disaster this is. Uh, now it makes it all the more difficult for the non-Trump votes to, to gain steam and to, to uh, defeat Trump. He's going to be that much closer, at least 100 more delegates closer to the, uh, to the overall count of 1,200 and something delegates. It just—it's pure math. And so, what drove this whole thing? You ask. It was Marco Rubio's uh, ego, plain and simple, right? Had he just simply bowed out for the good of the party, we would have had a very good fighting chance with Cruz against Trump. Uh, who knows what would have actually happened? But now, all we know is that it's much harder to defeat Trump. We're going to have to pray for a lot of luck. We're going to have to pray for Trump to say something so stupid that people actually will be affected by it and decide to vote against him. Uh, There's a lot going on. And, you know, there is one last uh, ray of hope is that now Rubio is out and it's much more of a two-man race, although Kasich is still in. So I bring this up not because I want to talk about this specific moment in history, because we are a timeless podcast. I want to bring it up because it's something that I now will coin as the Rubio effect, to pull a Rubio. And what does to pull a Rubio mean? Uh, in my mind, it means to insert, to, to fail to act in such a way that it completely compromises and changes the course of history. That's what the Rubio effect is to me, um, and uh, or to pull a Rubio. 
And Rubio pulled a Rubio. He 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 decided that he's gonna he's gonna screw this whole thing up. And and he knew that he was gonna screw it up. And now what? what what's his future gonna look like? It's exactly the, the prediction that you and I made, uh, Ari, I think a couple of weeks ago, which is if he if he knows that he's gonna lose, then he's not only gonna lose the possibility of, of him running for president, of course that's gonna happen, but his future as a politician is, is, is gone. And even his future to some extent with anything else that he might want to do, whether it's a social media or whatever, a news anchor or whatever public, it is. Public, public uh, fig- uh, figure of some, of some sort. Not elected necessarily, but, you know, the host of a television show, whatever. I mean, Right. Well, I know that I will never forgive him. You will never forgive him. Uh, the, most of the nation will not, uh, at least the Republicans, will not forgive him. He really created such damage to this party, and he knew it all along. This was just pie in the sky, and it was just him talking. And, and that's what bothers me so much about it. And it reminds me of all the, <clears throat> the moments in history where we have something similar. right? These moments like, gosh, if only this person hadn't done that, then we would see such a better result. One of the best examples is one that you gave to me, uh, Ari, which is, you know, had... The, um, the, the Senate race in 2004 that Obama was in against uh, the, the original Republican, had that man stayed in, right? And he, he bowed out of the race because some divorce proceeding was exposed, right? Do you remember his name? Um, uh, Mike something, yeah. I think. Yeah, I can't. His, <clears throat> wife, his wife's name was like Jerry Hall or Jerry. Yeah, it, regardless, the, the, yeah. the point You're is the that. the Star Trek guy, so she was on Next Generation, <laughs> if you remember her. Oh, okay. Well, either, either yeah. way, it doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't matter her name. But the person who was thinking of running in that race was Mike Ditka, the former yeah. coach <clears throat> of the Chicago Bears, who right. was a legend, or still is, a legendary celebrity in Chicago. Well, well okay. <clears throat> well, two, two decisions happened there. One is that he could have run, but more significantly, the, the, the Republican senator who bowed out. Um, bowed out. And had he stayed in, he, he could have very well had won that election. I think he would have won the election. He just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Not realizing, of course, or maybe realizing that Obama would indeed win the uh, Senate seat so easily as he did. And then, of course, that created the launching pad for him to run for president. And here we are with this horrific president, just an utter failure of a president uh, who has a very bizarre agenda, and uh, <clears throat> who's have has lasting effects upon the economy, uh, upon our foreign policy, that will forever echo for decades to come, just because of this one decision to bow out of the Senate race. Now, part of me doesn't blame him. He didn't want to suffer the blows and arrows that, that come up with that sort of scrutiny. I get that. But at some point, at some point in your campaign, you do have a responsibility to not bow out it's a little bit like, you know, the Good Samaritan rule, right? If you, if you take it upon yourself to help somebody across the street, somebody who's been hit by a car, for example, well, you, you got to finish the job. You can't just say, well, I don't feel like it anymore and leave that person in the street. And that's what this Mike guy, I think this the senator that we're talking about, and I, wish I, I do wish we'd remember his name. But, um, you know, if he had stayed in the race, Things, you know, good things could have happened. I think, and I think he would have won. I think the he he would have easily defeated this whole divorce issue. But he just didn't want to deal with it. All right, so that's just one very good example, Ari, of how one man's decision or one man's presence or actions dramatically affected the course of history. Here's another one: a man named Lee Harvey Oswald. Right now, he was a, a crazy man, of course. But, you know, every time I see reenactments of what Lee Harvey Oswald did with... Uh, uh, Jack Ryan was the guy. Yes, Jack Ryan, right, from Illinois, right? Jerry He's, Ryan was his Yeah, name. yeah, the, the senator uh, or the, the senator uh, candidate. But every time I see reenactments, reenactments of the JFK uh, assassination, I just over and over think to myself, gosh, you know, if only, if only, if only he hadn't been there, if only they had more protection... Um, if only they had some sort of protection over the car for JFK. If only you missed. I, I don't know. It, it, all these if onlys come to mind. But think about the tremendous impact that the killing of JFK had 
that echoed for not just the rest of his presidency, not just for the rest of the 60s, but for the rest of the 20th century and perhaps even beyond. Um, with, with JFK out, what happened was that we got LBJ, who himself was just, you know, Mr. He, he was Mr. Liberal beyond belief. He was the beginning of the liberals as we think of them. JFK was much more conservative in principle. And uh, LBJ, well, very different animal. He was a real Democrat. He was a real Democrat. Yeah. The, the, the Democrats we know about today and the whole prosecution of the war in Vietnam and the way that was micromanaged by LBJ as opposed to the way that JFK was handling it, which was better. I mean, the, whole, the whole rubric, the way we looked at government and the way we looked at the presidency was different with JFK. I, I like JFK. I mean, he made his mistakes. There, was, there, there were things about him I don't like, of course. But, the, but he was far superior to LBJ. Any Democrat who talks about cutting taxes is 90% there. It's, right. it's an amazing thing right. to think about in this day and age. And he was just that man. You not find it today. Right. He was that man. And LBJ kind of ushered in this era of um, uh, racial sensitivity, which, which has only hurt all minorities throughout the entire country. It created a PC world that, that started up. And I mean, I, we can go on and on about the impact of the killing of JFK. But that's, that's another good example. Here's another one, um, the, uh, the Treaty of Versailles, which is not really so much a person, of course, but as an event. The Treaty of Versailles which was the treaty that concluded World War I. And it occurred in Versailles, of course, uh, in a train uh, car. And, and they decided to really punish Germany in the way they did. It was it led to disastrous results, of course, and that, of course, led to World War II and the rise of Hitler and such. Um, and then everything that echoed from World War II, which is everything, the whole everything that you can think of, echoes from World War II, right? Including the '60s and the hippie movement and um, the, the way the kids were raised and the way they thought about things and the um, and the the whole um, baby boom and I mean it, it goes on and on, right? The fact that America become became a world power was the result of World War II. So everything was affected because, by that. Now, you may say, well, something else would have happened, Barack. And you'd be right. You'd be absolutely right. But the problem is that what did happen was this horrific war called World War II. And we had monstrous results with, I think, 20 million people were killed. If not, uh, some, some numbers put it at 200 million when you, when you add up all the craziness. But that's, that's, I guess, not my point. The point is that everyone is affected by World War II because of this Treaty of Versailles and then because of this other person named Hitler. And he had a vision, a crazy vision, to, to satisfy his crazy mind. And circumstances were such that it just lofted him up to power and people bought into his madness. And next thing you know, you know, it, horrific things are happening, that the course of history has changed. Uh, now, in smaller context, but very important context, uh, you brought up about... Uh, the, um, how Ronald Reagan, when, when he became president or was about to become president, they asked him uh, to pick a nominee for the, for the vice president. And the establishment at the time you know, really pushed him hard to put up a moderate, and that moderate would be George Herbert Walker Bush. He became the vice president, as we all know. And I, I think that H.W. Bush was a, a very bad president. I was so disappointed in him. I, I had hoped that he would continue the policies of Ronald Reagan. Uh, instead, he decided to go a different route altogether. And we got a very, um, a very bad president. Yeah, it was horrendous. And for conservatives out there who think we're bellyaching about this, just think of three quick events. Yeah. He gives all sorts of signals to tyrants in the world to be aggressive. And right. they do, including the Chinese at the Tiananmen Square um, 1989, I remember well. Right. That's number one. Number two, caving to Democrats to raise taxes. What conservative Republican hadn't figured out at the time that when you give in to Democrats, you get blamed for what they pressure you to do? Yeah. There's no thank yous in politics. That's right. Exactly With right. Democrats now or then. And then third, and this is the egregious thing, as you know the old prophecy, those who bless the Jews will be blessed, those who curse the Jews will be cursed. And 
H.W. Bush was horrible on Israel. He made them sit with their hands tied behind their back while Saddam Hussein launched Scud missile after Scud missile at Israel. I right. mean, such a terrible thing to do. Yeah. You're so right. And, and I mean, forget, because they only looked at it, if you take just a, a uh, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, they, they looked at the Jewish voting bloc uh, in America as very small, so they didn't care about pissing it off, excuse my French. But it's not about, uh, the, it, it, issues surrounding Israel are not about satisfying a voting bloc. They're moral issues. They're about right and wrong. And if the, the man with the most powerful position in the land is not dedicated to doing the right thing by Israel, it's not a good man. Well, okay, yes, you know, that's a good point. But we're talking about the big scope of things and how they, they have ripple effects and such. And I agree with you. He's not such a great man vis-a-vis Israel or otherwise. The point is that he squandered the Reagan uh, revolution. And we could have had, had we had somebody like Jack Kemp, for example, uh, you know, continue on with the path that Ronald Reagan offered, or even, you know, well, there, there are quite a few other conservatives. But we would have really progressed so well. We would have gone into uh, the, uh, not only won the, the 1988 election, of course, but also the 1992 election, almost certainly. It would have been 16 years of unfettered Republican administrations as a counter balance to the 16 years of FDR through Harry Truman. That's right. Where the entire gov- idea of government's relationship with people could have been restructured for more freedom. Yeah. For the first time since, you know, like 1912. To say nothing of the Supreme Court and all the other uh, appellate justices. Yeah, imagine a 9-0 conservative Supreme Court for 15, 20 years afterwards. Yeah, or 8-1. I mean, it, yeah. it, would be, it would be very hard to bust that. And great things would have resulted. We would have had a, a strong America throughout the 90s and otherwise. Um, you know, practically recession-proof, although there are always are ups and downs. But nevertheless, uh, great things would have happened. Yeah, no Bill Clinton, no rise of Islamic terrorism. Right. I mean, it, it just simply would not happen. Yeah, that's so true. All right, uh, the next one that I can think of is, um, well, these two kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, Ross Perot, who ended up giving the election to uh, Bill Clinton, and Ralph Nader, who ended up giving the election to George Bush in 2000. You can say, well, that it kind of worked out evenly. Well, but no, but the, the point is that it has an impact. In the case of, of Ralph Nader, great. You know, I'm glad that, that he ended up causing Gore to lose. Uh, and uh, that, that part was good. On the other hand, the reason why we had George Bush the son, it was because we had George H.W. Bush the father. And yes, George, uh, H., uh, George W. Bush, the, the son, was better than his father, uh, but he was no Reagan, and uh, you know it, it didn't have to be this way. And, and the squandering of the Reagan revolution, like I said, is one of the greatest uh, uh, disappointments. We, really, we had it. We really had it. It was so clear as day. But, but we digress. And so it has a lasting impact. And, you know, I mean, I know you like to talk about Bush and, and the, the impact that he had. But go ahead and describe about the impact on 2006 and otherwise. Well, it's interesting, the old chip off the old block philosophy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm the opposite of eugenesis. So I never blame sons for their father's foibles and vice versa. I'm just not about that ever. Whenever possible, but isn't it interesting the political symmetry of both Bush presidencies, both presidencies, because Bush compromised with Democrats at every turn where he thought compromise was warranted, it led to uh, the Republicans losing the White House, and yeah. because W. Bush compromised in his second term, especially leading up to the 2006 election, compromise on on. Uh, uh, environmental policy, on immigration policy, on all sorts of liberal ideas, it led to the the House and Senate going into Harry Reid's and Nancy Pelosi's hands, and then they were able to force their agenda down Bush's throat, which led directly to uh, people questioning the strength of Republican candidates as presidents. And then this cool... Glib operator named Obama comes up as, hey, wow, a first-time senator. He's so cool. He's so strong. Let's give him a shot. Right. And it, it, it was an environment that that was created by this decaying uh, approach, this 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 compromising approach, 
that all started off with the appointment of George H.W. Bush as the VP. Let me give you more examples, though. Um, the other one is, um, you know, going way back in history, of course, um, we talk about Hitler, of course, to some extent. You know, had, had one person allowed him to go to art school or bought some of his paintings at some point, right. you know, because that's what Hitler wanted. He wanted to be an artist. He fancied himself to be an artist. Well, he was rejected at every turn and because he wasn't a good artist. But had he gone to art school or whatever, we, we would have not seen uh, this horrendous thing. He would have been some sort of lowly guy named Adolf Hitler that, uh, that, that made art. Okay, you know, thanks. The kind of paintings you find out in a uh, in a double tree in today, you know? Exactly Bravo. right. Bravo. Bravo. I would exactly. have preferred that. Well, we all would have preferred that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and then, um, then of course, there's, in history, we have Bar Kokhba. Now, who is he? He is the um, the Jewish rebel, rebel who uh, led the Jewish revolt against the Romans, the second revolt. And it didn't go so well. Okay, but it was because of him that it caused the Romans to so despise the Jews in Israel um, and ultimately destroy and cast them all out. So it was all good and well. We look back in history fondly with Bar Kokhba trying to defeat the Romans, but it was such a losing proposition that for him to pursue it would have meant the destruction of his very people. Sound like somebody else you know <laughs> named Marco Rubio? Yep. That's, that's what he did. Bar Kokhba pulled a Rubio. Or if you like, Rubio pulled a Bar Kokhba. But it doesn't matter. It's, it's harder to pronounce, right? Bar Kokhba. And at the end of the day, what happened as a result of Bar Kokhba's um, rebellion? Well, all the Jews got kicked out. And they spread throughout the world, and, and that was called the diaspora, and that's why Jews are all over the world. They, they, they ended up in France and Germany and Iraq and, and Northern Africa and ultimately in America and, and far-flung places throughout the entire world. Yeah, the Far East, India, Thailand, South, South America, North America, everywhere you can imagine, that's where Jews were. Um, with you know the vast majority of them in, in Europe and Northern Africa and the Iraq-Iran uh, area. That's, that's where they ended up. And that changed the course of history as well. Now, there were many good things that resulted from that. Um, Jews throughout the world adopted and also influenced other people that, that they, they were living with. And maybe that was part of God's plan. And I think it was part of God's plan. But nevertheless, you can't deny that Bar Kokhba's rebellion created this, this instigation, which forced the Romans to slaughter every single Jew they could find. And if they couldn't slaughter them, well, they were going to push them out. And that's exactly what they did. So it's, it, it, it hurts us as a Jew to, to think about this, right? Because our people are so meaningful to us and our faith is so meaningful to us. But here we are. We're, we're products of the diaspora, all because of Bar Kokhba. Because of Bar Kokhba's chutzpah. Yeah, chutzpah is the word. Oh, I yeah. like that. That's very good. That's actually a good yeah. name for, a, for an uh, album, Bar Kokhba's chutzpah. <laughs> yeah, that's a tongue twister, too. I just thought of another guy who pulled a Marco Rubio. Please. This one really upsets me. Moshe Dayan. The Jews in the 1967 war captured Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. They unified Jerusalem. That's right. They did. And... The Israeli army is ready to bomb the Dome of the Rock and make ready the construction of the Third Temple. And Moshe Dayan not only stops them, because, okay, so we preserve this mosque because it's, you know, a piece of antiquity, that's fine. But then he turns over the keys to the Temple Mount back to the Waqaf. I, I, I know. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, oh. one, it's one thing to, to preserve it. It's another thing to actually cede control completely. Um, and, and now look at look at the mess that's created. Because they've turned the, the, the holiest place in the world where, where God's seat on earth should be into a place that anti-Semitic propaganda spews from, like a yeah. fire hose. Right, it, it does. And then they, and if, if a Jew even comes close to approaching uh, that place, then, then all sorts of riots. Uh, ensue as a result. It even happened with Ariel Sharon when he was there. When he was running for prime minister, he goes up on the, the Temple Mount right. and uh, right. And not only that, and I, I have this problem with the whole apartheid 
thing about Israel because it's not it's garbage, it's right? Not necessarily, in fact, it's completely not analogous from the South African days. But the irony is that Jews have their behavior restricted on the Temple Mount because if they are caught praying any prayer, let alone a Hebrew prayer, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I understand. It's true. But but it all goes back to Moshe Dayan setting the, the precedent that the Waqif and the Muslims get control of the Temple right. Mount. They never thought about the, the political impact and the demographic impact and the, the, the violence that would ensue as a result of all this where, you know, he hesitated. I mean, it's a classic point of hesitation. And I suppose he wanted to look good in the eyes of uh, maybe the Arab world and, of course, the, the world at large, but nobody cared. I mean, had he blown up that, uh, that mosque, and I'm not saying that he should have, I'm simply saying had he blown it up, uh, Israel would not be looked at any less favorably than it is today. In fact, it would be just as, it would be looked at, let's put it this way, people would still, people still look at Israel today with the mosque still there, despite Diane's very uh, charitable decision. They don't give him any credit or Israel any credit for not blowing it up. And they, so, in other words, they might as well have blown it up for all the contumely and vitriol that they, that they received, the Israelis. Right. But they, the big issue is take, giving the keys back. If they kept the, the mosque there but kept the keys and turned it into an international interfaith zone. Right. Or, and forget international. A, 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 a museum. A Israeli yeah. interfaith zone where people of all the world under Israeli security would be allowed to pray and pursue their religion as they right. wanted. It would it, be a wonderful Yeah, it would be more of a historical site. But of course, that never ended up being the case. Instead, it became it just created more confusion. It uh, it ennobled uh, the enemies of Israel to use the mosque as a launching pad for more attacks and to create uh, more unrest and such. This this is not a good thing. It was never a good thing to do that. So, look, you know, Israel. Either you have a homeland or you don't have a homeland, and you need to understand that. And. The Arab world has a tremendous number uh, amount of land. It's not. It's not Israel. Israel should not be um, yet another Arab country. It can't be another Arab country. And you know we can't dance around this issue anymore. We can't have a situation where we have one Palestinian uh, country within Israel, um, not even side by side. But they, they, what they want is a complete Palestinian state within Israel, like like those overlapping area codes, right? 310 and 424 all overlapping each other. It, it, you know, it, it might work in the telephone world, but it doesn't work in the demographic world. It, it can also be very dangerous. These are two cultures that are so different from each other. These are two societies, the two civilizations that, that are so different from each other. They have no understanding of each other's uh, you know, sentiment and, and what they all stand for. That's the problem, Ari. That, don't you agree? Yeah. That's it. Yes. And um, it, until that day, we'll, we'll just never figure this out. But Moshe Dayan didn't figure it out. Um, and there are a lot, of, um, a lot of Israelis, you know, when they gave up or they're talking about giving up the West Bank, uh, topic, to, talking about giving up Gaza, they, they were, did give up Gaza, terrible things resulted. I mean, look what happened with the decision of, Moshe, of, of uh, Ariel Sharon to give up Gaza. And I was saying it, I think you were saying it in 2005, big mistake. All we know that any time Israel gives away position, terrible things happen. And it usually means that a lot of Israelis die. Okay? It, 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 you don't get any credit from the rest of the world that you've done something noble, like pulling out of Gaza. And look what happened. I mean, Gaza is now a, it, it's, not, it's just a, it's a, Pure hell pit. That's it's it. It's a flourishing zone of evil. Yeah. And by the way, it's not a third world hell pit. The the leadership, the the um, the nomenclatura of the the Gazan culture live very well on beachfronts. Yeah. No. I. Very, they, they do. No. I understand. But it's still a, a pit of hell. It, it well, is yes, in every respect. They is. they shoot the people who are are oppressed suffer as bad as anyone on planet Earth. Oh, it's just a, a miserable miserable place to live. And and when the Israelis lived there, they had settlements there and such, there was growth, there was a, a possibility of hope. And a lot of the Palestinians worked for the Israelis. They, they it was a good thing that was going on, but he pulled out of it. And then when Rabin, Yitzhak Rabin, now some people will say, oh the assassination of Rabin, that, that changed everything else. He would have led to this great Palestinian state. Uh, sorry, this Palestinian-Israeli peace, and wouldn't that have been wonderful? 
the answer is no. He would not have done that. It would have ended up into actually more chaos than what we have. I'm not saying that the killing of Rabin was a good thing by any measure whatsoever, but I can tell you with great confidence that what would have happened now that we know so much more about what really was behind the Oslo Peace Accords, we, we know that the devastation that would rain down upon Israel would have been far worse, far worse than what we are seeing since then. So uh, may, may Rabin rest in peace. I spent uh, my last Yom Kippur uh, breakfast with him, uh, his last Yom Kippur breakfast, rather, with him in Tel Aviv. I have a picture with it to prove it. It's pretty cool. But then he died. He was killed. So anyway, I, big things can happen with, with the actions of just one person. Who knows, by the way, uh, what would have happened had Rabin stayed in power? Uh, this, this madman who killed him, and he was a madman, uh, nevertheless, um, who knows what would have happened to Israel had this peace process, so-called, so uh, you know, moved along as planned, only then for us, the Israelis, to figure out, oh my gosh, we've been had. This is a big Trojan horse. So who knows about that? Now, the, the whole point of this, folks, is to, to show one very core principle, and that is that people have dramatic impacts upon the course of history. Whether that's Ross Perot, whether that's Pat Buchanan, for that matter, Nader, um, Emperor Constantine, who chose between uh, making the empire the, uh, either Christian or Jewish, and the, the, the flurry of... Uh, things that, that flew from that, uh, that was a huge event as well. Whether that was Hitler, whether that was uh, Bar Kokhba, like we talked about, whether it was the naming of George H.W. Bush as the uh, VP, and so many other examples we could give. The point is that people have tremendous impact. One decision alone, for good or evil, can change the course of history. And Marco Rubio's decision to stay in this Republican primary may have very well changed the course of history. And, and it's, it, it, it maddens me because he should know better. We, we talk about you know, these, these independent runs and such, but the reality is that things are really decided during the primary phase. And he's making he made his decision pretty much, it's not, not hard yet, but he pretty much cemented Trump's rise as the nominee of the Republican Party for the 2016 presidential campaign. And for that, for that, I will never forgive Marco Rubio. Because pulling a Marco Rubio this moment, when it could have been avoided, is unforgivable. We have a history that uh, may very well lead to either Donald Trump becoming president, or far worse, Hillary Clinton being president, neither of which either you or I can stand. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. Hi, 
Hi, folks. We are back. Thanks for tuning back in. All right. Uh, we talked before about Trump. We talked about Obama, of course, uh, many times. We talked about Hillary Clinton and such. One of the things that have always fascinated me, and I'm sure with you as well, Ari, is, is the whole debate on gay marriage. Now, how am I, why am I bringing that in? It doesn't, doesn't it seem like it's a done deal that gay marriage is now the law of the land? Uh, yes, it, it, it is. And in some, in some sense, it's actually a blessing that that's the case because it's no longer an issue to focus on. But that's my point. It struck me as very odd that people were so emotional about this topic when, in fact, it's nothing. It always was nothing. If, if two gay people wanted to commit to themselves uh, to each other for the rest of their lives and, and otherwise, they were fully capable of doing so. They would have all the rights uh, of any married couple. And uh, they even had uh, the domestic partnership laws, which were identical to the marriage laws, but they weren't able to call it marriage. But nevertheless, they fought so hard for that. Why do I bring this up? Because it's about perspective. Uh, here's the world on fire, right? You've got ISIS doing its thing with the sexual enslavement, institutional stuff, right? Uh, Nuclear Iran and North Korea. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. Uh, Russia and its hegemony and its desire to, to kind of play uh, America for the sap that, that it's becoming. Uh, China is now, of course, going into the, the South China Sea to launch a, a new military invasion of some sort. We don't know exactly where, but they're doing it for a reason. Uh, North Korea, of course, threatening nuclear attacks as well. The one-child policy in China, of 19 course. trillion in debt. You know, you already, <laughs> just at that list, you put it in perspective. Right. And you're not even done with the list. I'm not even done. <laughs> I mean, it, and, and the horrific things that are going on in the Middle East, just horrific. It's their unspeakable crimes. So that's what that's what we're actually talking about, unspeakable. And I, I, I wonder how it is possible that we... You know, I saw this gay couple when on the news, that is, when, when the, the Supreme Court was about to render its decision. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. And they were in front, and they were one was holding the other in his arms, and they were crying, you know, with, with joy and hope, like, this is so meaning, meaningful. And, of course, there's the gay rainbow of flag that surrounded them and everything else, right? You know, and there's all sorts of songs, and... And it's all about love, and all you need is love. And, and I just thought, my God, what has happened to my country that this is what we're talking about? And it's not just gay marriage, by the way. It's, uh, it's also about transgenderism and the right, the right, you understand, of any man who feels like a woman to go relieve himself in a woman's bathroom. And that is somehow a holy event, right? This is, this is where we've gotten ourselves. Um, the, the, the demand that that uh, men speak to women of a certain you know in a certain way um, cannot talk to them in a certain way of any this this is all that that's the important thing and don't you know I, I, there are some parents that when I, I this this boy he looked like a girl because you know he had long hair and he was otherwise dressed like a girl and I said oh how long how old is your son and this parent said uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry how long how old is your girl rather and and the parents said, he, very angrily, is three and a half. Thank you. Like, it was outrageous that I, I well, then why are you dressing him up like a girl? But, he, but, but I mean, it was obviously he was trying to get, to provoke. I, I don't know. I don't know what the other, the reason was. But, but clearly he was on the, on the mission uh, to, to, to advance this very important social agenda of, of transgenderism of some kind. And that gender means nothing. It's what you feel like. Ah. Uh, and then, then, of course, the racism and the charges that every company has to have so many blacks and so many Hispanics and, and, and the minimum wage and everything has to be done just so. And, and everyone's entitled to so many days of sick, sick days and, and, and overtime pay. And this is, this is the world we live in, in America. We are in a bubble. That's my point. And that we could focus on this and not see the reality of what's going on around us. It's just, I, I don't even know where to begin. It's like, it's like you're being surrounded by zombies, like in all those movies, right? And you have uh, zombies constantly threatening you from the outside, right? And they're climbing up and you have to, you have somebody at the guard tower and he's shooting at them one at a time. 
right? But you have to be ever vigilant, right? And yet people inside, not yet seeing the zombies inside the compound, you know, they're arguing with each other about, you know, whether to put roses or, or daffodils in the garden, you know? And what kind of fertilizer shall we use? Because some are more environmentally friendly, you know? I mean, this is, this is the kind of debate that we're having. Yeah, and then those of us who are screaming, there are zombies coming, can we buy more bullets, are treated by the garden and flower arrangers. Why are you such hate mongers? Right. Why do you want to spend all the money on bullets? Right. And we, we're then having the conversation, can you believe all they care about is the gardening? Yeah. And, you know, they, they might care about the zombies if they actually saw them coming, you know, trying to poke their head up above the wall. And then, you know, those, those ugly heads, of course, and then, and then somebody has to shoot them and then say, okay, yeah, this is a real threat. But if they can't hear them and they can't see them, but, you know, they should know that they're outside, well, they still won't. They'll decide not to entertain the thought because, you know what, so far so good. We haven't been invaded. Let's, let's focus on the very important things about the issues of the garden, right? That's, that's the way this America that we presently live in thinks. And it's, it's encouraged by this administration very, very strongly. Now, the biggest of all of these examples, the biggest, do you know where we're going to go with this one? Ari? No. Climate change. Okay? That, that we can, yeah, he's raising his hand. Yeah, of course. Of course. Right? And, and they even tell you that, you know, while acknowledging ISIS and uh, fundamentalism and all those terrible things that are going on, that's nothing, they say, nothing compared to the onslaught of damage that we will face as a result of climate change, and that we need to do something now. Now, I tell you, right? Yeah, my other guess, just so you know, was the, th- the, the lethal threat of heterosexual age, AIDS on adult film sets. Oh, yes, yes, thank you very much. That was a very, very important Because thing. the whole population is threatened by that. Yes, yes, we must have condoms in, in, porn, in the porn industry. Uh, anyway, I mean, that, and that's got to be a proposition, and a, uh, it's just the madness going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but you know what? It, as if ISIS cares about climate change, as if North Korea or China cares about climate yeah, change. Those are the zombies, my friends. And climate change, putting aside whether it's even real at all, because we don't think it's, it's a real threat. I mean, you can say, the, the, yeah, of course the climate's always changing. So, yes, climate change is real in that sense. But that the notion that we're actually going to suffer a major blow to our society, uh, whether by floods or otherwise, is, is just not believable. And 40 or 50 years hence, and they've always been wrong about every single skies falling uh, program that they've ever advanced. Putting that aside, uh, it doesn't matter. Let's say that the, 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 the oceans will rise, um, you know, six inches. So what? Okay, that's going to happen. Big deal. There's a question whether we have any. I mean, the liberals constantly tell us anyway that we're beyond the point of, of no return anyway. So what's the point? Right? And then the fact that unless the entire world is totally on the program, there is no point as well. It's, it's all good and well if America somehow, if everyone pitches in and no one drives, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, gas guzzling SUV. SUVs or clunkers or anything else like that. And they do everything just so and they, they turn off the lights just, you know, only at always the right moment. Even if America was totally on board, well, the rest of the country, so long as it's not on board, it, it doesn't matter. The rest it's, of the world, you mean? The rest of the world, sorry. It's literally a drop in the ocean. Literally. Okay, so, and, and then even if you get the whole world to do it, to do exactly like I just described, everyone gets a fantastic hybrid car. Uh, everyone turns off the lights just the right moment, right? <laughs> you know, everyone bikes to work when they can. Yeah, no one, everyone gets the right kind of Botox injections in their armpits, so no one needs air conditioning. There you go. You know? Yeah, oh, good, good example. Um, everything is done just so. Okay, it turns out that, you know, with all the estimates that we'll be able to impact the temperature by 0.2 of one degree by the year, I think it was 2085, something ridiculously far out like that. We can't do anything about it. But let's say we could. Let's say we could actually stop uh, the, the, the oceans from rising, the six inches that they claim. Okay, so what? So what? There won't be anything to worry about, and that won't even be an issue once the, the terrorism charges keep on attacking us, and we won't be living in an age where we have to be using these cars or anything because they want us to live in the, the year six, 680 anyway. So what's the point? But 
But all this is, is meaningless. It's that the place is on fire. Our world is on fire. We've got ISIS, we've got Russia, we've got China, we've got North Korea, we've got Iran, all those bad guys places that we're talking about. And, and by the way, that's assuming that those are the only players in, in the world in the next 10, 20, 30 years, right? You mean based the bad on, guys. Based on non-static uh, thinking as if Bingo. a new one won't come out of the woodwork yeah. somewhere? Yeah, why not Venezuela? Venezuela, bad guys, right? Why, why can't they become another North Korea, for example? That there's, you just don't know. And it, once upon a time, people then, uh, you know, only uh, 35 years ago, people thought of Iran as a, as a country that was, you know, in our camp and an ally. No one ever thought, no one would ever group Iran in that grouping that I just made. Now Iran is, is one of the most serious players in that grouping that I made. So it's static thinking. And instead of dealing with evil, we deal with this pretend evil. Uh, you know, the equivalent, I think, of, of dealing with aphids in the garden. Aphids, I tell you, <laughs> right? When the zombies are coming up the, the wall. <laughs> so uh, this, this is what, what concerns me. I mean, I, and I, and I want to study it. I want to understand what makes somebody believe that climate change is more important than dealing with the terrorists and the, the madmen known as ISIS and so on and all the other players that we mentioned. Why do you think that's more important? Because you're so sure that, that we're all going to drown in water? Is that, 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 that's that what you've convinced yourself? Because if that's the case, if you think that's more serious, 50 years hence, by the way, than dealing with the issues that are, we're facing right now, which are very real. You don't have to predict ISIS, right? We know that they're beheading people. We know that they're engaging in massive rape. Then, then what is it that's, that's making you do this? You know, you're basing it all on projection. You must believe it, of course. So you've bought it hook, line, and sinker, but still 50 years from now. Is it possible that it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen? Or that, the, that your liberal community has told you it's going to happen? Is that possible? Because one thing we know, it's a certainty that ISIS is there. And it's a certainty that ISIS wants to destroy us all. And it's a certainty that more and more difficulties in the Middle East will continue to, to, to unfold if we do nothing about it, right? Okay. So how do we get from that? How is it that somebody like Obama or anybody who is in his camp can, can say with a straight face to dismiss everything that's going around the world and only focus on climate change? That's well, what I want to know. Well, are you, are you, put, are you phrasing that in the, in the correct context, meaning... are is it possible that you're making an assumption that Obama is saying that with a straight face? See, I don't believe he does, or he is, and we've had that arguing ad, ad nauseum over the, the years on this. Uh, it's clear that people like Obama, whether they, they believe it or not, are using it for advantage, and it's clear that there are people who are the true believers on the ground who have been terribly miseducated to believe that these things are a threat to them at the expense of understanding the zombie threat to them, as right. you call it. Right. So do you want to first clarify that point and, and give the two options of what if he is dealing with this straight and no, what if I, he's I, not? Uh, you interpret it the way you want to, but I, I can tell you that my interpretation is that Obama merely speaks for a, a vast majority of people. I, I think that he thinks that, but whatever, that whatever he says is somehow going to be believed and, and, there, and therefore run with as soon as he speaks his words of wisdom. But... But I, I do think that Obama represents a massive amount of the liberal camp that believes as he says. Whether he believes it or not is not really important. What I'm simply saying is there are many people that believe that the following statement, climate change is a real threat and it's a far more important threat to, to deal with than anything else. Everything else is, is, like I said, if it's in the garden. Okay, so that's what it is. So, you know, everything's reversed. Right. The aphids yeah. in the garden are yeah. the ISIS, zombies, yeah. and the zombies are just aphids in the That's garden. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. Ah. That's the way they think, okay? Everything's reversed. They believe climate change is the zombies, right? And that are dealing with ISIS. You know, we are being just so silly. This is, yeah, okay, it's fine. It's nice to be, have a nice garden. But don't you know, climate change is climbing the walls. Yeah, and you know why that it, it somewhat makes sense is because if you truly believe that climate change is such a threat that if the ocean rises six inches... 
every human being within 500 yards of the beach will just drown, is if human beings, the vast majority of which, are so powerless, they have the mobility of someone who's paralyzed just lying on the ground without arms and legs. And if six inches of water comes up like an infant, you're going to drown in it. Right. It'll happen in one, in one day. In fact, it'll happen in one second. And you won't have any warning whatsoever. Right. It'll one just... big wave, you're drowned. Yeah. <laughs> Property yeah. gone. Like a light switch. Right. Boop. It's like oh, six inches. Boom, turn it off. Six inches back. <laughs> That's right. Speed of speed of light. I tell you. That's how fast it'll be. <laughs> you know, in, in forty years, yeah. <laughs> mind you. Don't worry. So. How, how is it that we're going to drown? That's the, that's the amazing thing about it. Yeah. Well, to your question about how did people wind up with yeah, this, please. clearly, terrible education systems, every, anywhere from K to 12 to especially college, yeah. terrible media culture that drum beats this in day in, day out. This is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. Now, 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 now. To people like Leonardo DiCaprio selling themselves by talking about this at the Academy Awards ceremony speech, which probably no one watched anyway, but even yeah. so, that's still just the message echoing. It's it's kind of like those stories you hear about the Holocaust. When you repeat the big lie enough, people believe after a while that Jews are the cause of all their problems. Right, or that the Holocaust never happened and so on. Um Look, uh, DiCaprio, it, 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 your point is a very good. I did see that speech that he made, and I just, of course, I was floored by it and how absurd and how naive it was to say that this is, this is the greatest thing to worry about. Climate change is real, folks, and we all better get on board with this. You know, how do you create that sense of urgency, by the way, for decades? How, how does that happen? I, I just wonder, you know, like, how do you keep pumping that up? When, when temperatures are not rising in the meantime and there's no real threat whatsoever, that's no perceptible threat, how do you keep up that energy? Yeah, you think that the, the natives would eventually wonder why the sky hasn't fallen on them yet. Right. And, of course, ironically, that speech was spoken by the guy who will get on a private jet to fly to his private yacht yes. to sail to his private island. And, and that is irony. That's right. But, you know, here it is. Maybe, maybe the issue, and I think you hit on, on something there, Ari, it's, uh, we, we talked before about the notion of salience, right? Salience meaning that you take in what you see or hear and you focus on that. So in, in, in litigation, by the way, in persuasive argument, this is what you do. You, 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 you say, here's what they argue. And you focus on what they argue and you announce it and then you deal with it. And then you don't deal with the arguments that you don't want to deal with, right? So the court typically... Uh, will focus on your arguments. And that is what's salient to the court. The same thing is true when it comes to uh, airplanes, right? The salience thing, I always bring this up, is if, you, if, if all you were to see about airplanes and didn't have your own experience with traveling in airplanes, if all you knew about airplanes is what you see on the news... And then I say to you, hey, Ari, you want to go on a plane or plane? No, say, yeah. no, it's going to crash. It's going to disappear. That's right. <laughs> it's going to be in pieces. You, you, you'd say, hell no, I won't go. Right. Uh, because it's going to crash. Because all I know about these guys, why anybody would go in that death box is a mystery to me. <laughs> Do you right? like how emotionally I responded <laughs> yes, to it? Yes, you. Because I was picturing CNN for days. Right. MH380's gone. I, I must, it's gone. I must say it was a little bit more emotional than I expected, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> all right. Now... So, so, you, so that's salience for you. But the reason why we don't get all flustered and we don't think, oh, my gosh, you know, CNN's, uh, you know, the crashes of, of the uh, Malaysian Airlines and so on. And uh, it's because we've all been in airplanes, or at least most of us, and we know, you know, every time that we've been on an airplane, it's been smooth sailing. Thank you very much. Um, so we have the perspective. But if you don't have the perspective, it, it does twist your interpretation of it. A good example in that direction is Israel. Right? Ask anybody who has not been to Israel if they'd like to go to Israel, especially somebody who's not Jewish. And they'll say, I, I don't know, it looks pretty dangerous to me. It's exactly the, the airplane scenario. But, the fact, but in this case, they didn't go on the airplane. They didn't go to Israel. Right? And so they have this perception, uh, not only that Israel is a very dangerous place, but when you ask them, and I, and I love asking my, my friends about this, um, What's you, you have an image of Israel. Tell me about it. In, in your mind's eye, you're about to go to Israel. And you, you find yourself now in Israel. What do you see around you? What do you expect to be seeing? And they all say the same thing. I expect to see women dressed in, in funny garb and uh, people selling uh, little tchotchkes on the street and yelling out for, for bargains. Camels, of course. A lot of dust. A lot of yelling. 
A lot of Orthodox or Hasidic Jews. Maybe, maybe. Dressed in black coats and black hats in 100-degree weather. Yeah, and they're all dancing in some sort of, <laughs> you know, horror sort of situation for some reason. Anyway, that's, that's what they expect. And it's the salience thing, again, because that's all they've ever been taught. Now, the same thing is true with the climate change argument. That's why I'm going back to it. I think your point is a well-taken. The, the drumbeat of the media culture, as you said, keeps on hammering it over and over again. So after a while, you're told that the only issue to focus on is climate change. What issue you ask? Climate change. Climate change and climate change. And, and they tell you that that's more important than anything else, and you don't need to focus on anything else. So after a while, you say, I, don't, I guess I don't need to focus on anything else. And yes, there's, there's talk about ISIS and such like that, but they're very dismissive because they have to deal with it, obviously, right? And so Obama and, and his team will say things like, well, you know, that, that's uh, extremism and we, we need to deal with that and such like that. But, we you know, put it in its proper place. But let's, I guess, again, be very objective. Our, our, we're very secure. Um, you know, America's resilience is always there and we don't have to worry. That is the constant drumbeat. Constant. And because of that, we will lose in the, the most important battle, the battle against this extremism, as, as to use Obama's phrase, we cannot possibly win unless we have the equal passion against the monsters called ISIS and against uh, Russia, for that matter, against China, against evil, generally speaking. If we don't even recognize evil, then we will lose. And we must have that same passion that these liberal, naive fools have for climate change. If they could just redirect that passion to the right place, we'd be fine. But the reason why they are able to fight climate change is because there's no, there's no actual enemy there. You can't say that there's an evil person or evil enterprise out there that we're now going to commit resources to and people will die as a result of it. We're just fighting this this kind of vague notion called climate change. Well, they seem to actually be doing that because you know. Well, they they, they, they call they, climate change that we are the evil itself. Right, but but they, but, I, but but I'm not talking. I'm but talking they about. They point to coal company, the, the yeah, coal companies, oil companies, the people who make big cars, those yeah. who drive them. So they they do have their bogeyman. No, but 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 that's because the, uh, green is the new red, and we know that. It's not. Uh, they are the bogeyman, but. They, they, they are soldiers for this cause, but not realizing that they're being duped. But to deal with actual evil, I mean, real monsters, that, they won't have any of that. They'll, they'll be very happy to take on uh, enemies that don't fight back. No problem. That's why they attack the Christians. That's why they attack the Mormons. That's why they attack the coal companies, like you said, in other industry. Because they, they can't you know, suddenly round you up and engage in uh, sexual slavery with you or murder you uh, en masse, nothing of the sort will happen. Like yeah, that. the soccer mom with a SUV and more than one kid is not prone to violence, yes. in their opinion. They can be very brave about this subject, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. And, and uh, putting in their money where their mouth is on climate change, well, that's very easy. Yeah, and, and to your opening subject, gay marriage, look how also they savage the poor people who are florists and bakers. Yeah. They're not exactly the kind who take up arms and no, head. No. Their enemies, are they? They're, they're very easy, soft targets. Right. And, and what the Obama administration, what the, what the liberal community at large, the far left, I should say, what so many of them want to do is to go on these, these progressive um, destruction sprees and make themselves feel good about it. Because, you know, they will destroy. And nobody, there's not going to be any resistance in response. That's what's going to happen. And so then they, they go on to the next target and the next target. But a real enemy, like ISIS, dealing with real evil, like, uh, like North Korea or Iran, <laughs> no thanks. Okay? They're all very brave until the moment where they have to deal with real evil. Just the other day, for example, there was a... Um, uh, there was a, a man who came to a 7-Eleven store with a hatchet, and he started butchering people. He, I think he killed two people. Um, and thank God, there was a 60-year-old man who happened to have a concealed uh, gun uh, with a, with a was license. Was this the guy in the wheelchair, too? I, I don't know. But okay. the good news is he had he a, did, he a did, concealed gun. He took gun care of business. And he just shot this mother effer down and killed him, the, the hatchet man. God bless him. Wonderful. Um, and, and this... You know, 
you can't help but think when you hear a story like that. I don't know about you, but I, I know for myself, I think, what would I do, right? If I had a gun, yes, I'd like to shoot this person down too. So that's great. But what if I didn't have a gun? You know, uh, what if it, it was more evenly matched? Maybe I had a, uh, I don't know, uh, something very heavy, a very blunt, big blunt object that I could grab, like a hammer, right? Um, a really big, nice, big hammer that could swing at this guy. W- would I do it? You know, would I w- risk the, the, the chance that he'll swing around and, and, and bury his hatchet into my chest? Is that, that's certainly possible, right? With a gun, well, you know, you're at a distance, you have an advantage, you can, you can kill that guy. But, but and then this is what I'm talking about. You, you, you envision yourself fighting this man with a hatchet and how you might do it. And I've, I, I saw myself, even without a blunt object, maybe just kind of finding my way to get to his back and then kind of kicking him uh, down and then maybe, you know, standing on top of him and kicking his face in, right? But still, that takes courage. It takes tremendous amount of risk. And the liberals... Most of them are cowards. They will take on the equivalent of that man if, if he's, you know, two feet tall and he's carrying, you know, a, uh, a plastic lightsaber. Then they'll, then they'll bravely take him on, but not when it's a real threat. Yeah, they'll take him on also if he's a six-year-old first grader in a public school who comes to school with a little toy soldier. There you go. Yeah, those are the real enemies somehow right. for them. Good point. So this is uh, courage to them, but in reality, it's true cowardice. They have no business telling us what real evil is. They don't know because they don't want to. They they just don't want to think about it. And that's you know wrapping up all this that we talked that we started from in the very beginning. This this the world is on fire, and we focus on these ridiculous things transgenderism and how important it is, the gay marriage thing, and, how, and so many other things. It's not just gay marriage I'm, I, want, I want to focus on. But bizarre things are going on, and they focus on it, um, as, and, and they tell you it's the great civil rights issue of our, of our time. Not even gay marriage, just everything is a great civil rights issue all of a sudden. And they want you to draw all your attention to it, including climate change. And when, when the real enemy is out there, and we've got to point that gun, and we've got to deal with that evil, and, and strike him down. And until that glorious day when we all realize that we actually are dealing with evil, I, I, I'm losing hope. Here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is the only way we'll ever deal with it is if we are in the garden and we actually see zombies coming in to our walls. That's when we'll see, treat it seriously. Once we, if that actually happens then we'll have a greater perspective. But it has to hit home. It has to be right, right in our face. We have to confront it in a way that we just means that we have to confront it. Yeah, and what you're talking about, mind you, and let's put this in perspective for the listeners, because a lot of the listeners are immediately going to jump and say, oh, was, wasn't Sam Bernardino the zombies coming through your walls? And the answer is obvious. No, unfortunately, the casualty count wasn't enough to get these people's attention. Right. It has to be zombies. It has to be North Korea or Iran vaporizing an American city. Right. It has to be a mass terrorist attack of such casualty proportion right. that people cannot ignore it. Well, 9-11 was exactly that. And, and even that, you saw, how um, it, it lasted only for it so long. It had a six-month half-life before yeah, that's, that's TV all stations stopped playing the footage. That's exactly right. And people forgot. And, and people did forget, and they will continue to forget. Um, and, and if you want to know uh, a country that does have fantastic perspective on, on all this, that is Israel, right? Because Israel is constantly dealing with the zombies, so to speak, uh, who are literally coming over the, the, the walls of the can and trying to use knives to, to do these knife attacks and to otherwise throw rockets uh, and everything else. So they see the zombies and they don't have time for garbage, for garbage issues, and what they do instead is they focus on what they need to be done. They talk about courage. They talk about character. They talk about strength and honor and all the things that are, in fact, very conservative values. They don't have time to decide, let's, let's, uh, let's talk to somebody who feels like a woman when he's really a man, and, and uh, let's explore the, the feelings of these people. No. I mean, you can, you can find that, I suppose, in Israel, but it's not a national discussion. How about that? And that's the difference. We need to recognize that we are living in a world of zombies, and we are actually in the compound. 
and, it, and, and that's that day when we realize it is a day that we can actually progress, that we might actually be able to succeed in conquering evil. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.